Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Stephen Rapport, dedicated in honor of Isaac Daba, our president for many, many years in the Beit Knesset, in recognition of his many years of leadership. Hazaku Baruch, thank you very, very much. Breakfast in the Class, also dedicated in loving memory of Adel Azrak, Allah Shalom, Lunishmat Adel Bat Frida and Askara, sponsored by our son Marvin Azrak. Uh, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated for the speedy and completed for Ashlema, Rabbani Chana Farchi, Hanna Batsima Fega, and Rabbi Eli Abani Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortune. And the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Please only answer Amen if you are listening to this Berachah live. Baruch Atah Adonai. Elohim Melchaholam. Shakon Yavaro. Okay, let us begin. My friends. The idea of the shofar, the concept of shofar uh, on Rosh Hashanah is a very powerful catalyst for change. And the Chachamim point out that the letters of the word shofar are the same letters of the word shaper, which means to improve. So the concept of a shofar is designed to help someone improve. That concept of improving those shofar is not simple, how does the shofar make someone improve? So one of the ideas that's presented <clears throat> is that the shofar, the loud sound of the shofar, is something that wakes a person up. It's a startling loud noise. And therefore, Aryeh, right, when the, when the lion roars in the town, says uh, Rambam, Aryeh sha'ag mi lo yira. When you hear a lion roar, what happens? Everyone uh, is, wakes up, they're afraid. They run away, they do what they need to do in order to be able to save themselves. So one idea is that the process of self-betterment that's begun by the shofar happens because a person hears a loud startling noise. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, there are different kinds of shofar. Um, recently, uh, I, had a, I had a shofar that was my favorite go-to shofar for many, many years. I have it in a koracha that says my name on it, Shlomo Farhi. Anyway, one Rosh Hashanah, I come to the shul, someone stole my shofar. And I was thinking to myself, there's really only one purpose that one would have with a shofar, right? I don't know, unless you're using it to funnel your drinks, I'm not sure, right? But, right, you can only build a shofar for this, and you're probably not getting kapara using a stolen shofar. Like, so what purpose? But be that as it may, someone stole my shofar. So I had to go get another good shofar. I went to a store. By the way, the prices of, shof- of good shofar will shock you. Anyone know how much a good shofar costs? 800. Anywhere between 200 and 600 I saw. Now they have a new, a new thing they make. <coughs> if anyone wants to get, a, get me a nice gift. They make personalized shofars. Bespoke, custom made. They grind the actual bottom of the shofar exactly to the shape of your mouth. So I think it's a little bit extra. So I went to the store and I bought three shofars for myself. So it might not be the best gift because I already have three shofars. But the point is, three shofars that blow. Now each shofar is a different sound. Some shofars, I don't know if you ever heard this. It's like a It's a very thin, reedy sound. <clears throat> then there's some shofars that are like a blast. Like you could bring it to a stadium and they would hear it, right? So those are the shofars that I like. Maybe it's a personality thing, I don't know. To do something with power, with energy, you know, you know, so that's, Aryeh Sha'ag, 
Milo Yira. But my friends, I want to talk about one of the ten different ideas that are brought down with regards to the self-betterment of shofar that happens. Not just a loud sound, uh, not just a powerful noise. My friends, we find in the Tanakh that shofarot are blown at specific moments in history. One of the most famous moments that the shofarot were blown, they were blown in the city of Yericho. And why was the shofar blown in Yericho? Now, when you go into battle, we blow a shofar. We know that, right? They were going to battle, you blow a shofar. But my friends, the battle Yericho had something unique about it. In the fact that they couldn't actually approach the warfare. Because Yericho had a, a beautiful, powerful wall surrounding it. It was locked up, you couldn't get in. So there's this wall that sits there. And the Jewish people begin to walk around <coughs> the walls of the city. They encircle the city and they blow the shofar. And what happens to the walls of the city of Yericho? <coughs> the walls come down. The Chachamim tell us that this idea was a, uh, a sign, a symbol, for all of us to understand what the key power of the shofar is. And that is that the shofar has, within its nature, the power to be able to tear down walls. What happened in Yericho was a tearing down of the physical wall. We blow the shofar at Har Sinai. Why? Because they were tearing down, God was tearing down a wall between the Jewish people and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why the Pasuk says, Kol shofar, the voice of the shofar, Holech was going, was going and getting stronger and stronger. The shofar that was blown at Mount Sinai was the most powerful blast that ever occurred. Why? Because it was tearing down the largest wall that ever existed. And that's the wall between a living, breathing thing which has the rules of all living and breathing things. And God was tearing down the, the wall between the body of a person and their soul. Connecting, fusing a person's nishama to their body. So that wall was the greatest wall to ever come down. China thinks it has the great wall. And it's great, it's huge. But it's not the hugest, it's not the greatest. The greatest wall that ever existed is the wall between a person's body and their soul. And that was kol shofar, my friends, the process of self-betterment is in truth the process of knocking down walls. And I think that there's something here which is very, very powerful. What is the word in Hebrew, things that divide, things that create walls? The wall is called mechitza. A mechitza is a divider, if you will, between two things. But what's interesting is, is that the root of the word mechitza is chetzi. But the word mechitza, the root of that word also has as its shorish chotzetz, which means something that interferes with. Now I want to illustrate this. A lot of times, the challenge that a person is facing in their life is not a challenge of distance. 
but a challenge of smashing down a wall. Let me explain. There are some companies that are not producing everything that the company could produce. And you'd think that the company needs to tear everything down and start again. But actually, if you got in a proper business analyst, they would tell you, you know something? Management is fantastic. The workers feel supported, understood, and heard. The machinery of the factory is amazing. What's the problem? The problem might be something very simple. Reason why they're not producing everything that they could is because of one issue. And you know what that one issue is? That one issue is that the, their factory is in Africa, and in Africa they have something that's called brownouts. You familiar with this idea? What's brown? Load shedding, exactly, exactly. That the, the power grids are not enough to be able to sustain peak times of power. So what happens? They have rolling brownouts, or even blackouts, where you don't have electricity delivered to your factory. Or the electricity delivered to your factory is halved. So could you imagine a person realizes the reason why the factory is producing is not the people, it's not the management, it's not the product, it's not the machines, it's the fact that they don't have access to that electricity. A smart person would say to the workers, guys, I don't mind paying you more, but would you mind shifting this entire operation from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. instead, right, instead from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m.? At that time of night, the electricity, the grid, is not struggling as much. They won't cut our power. It will mean that all of you day workers will become night workers. And in that one tiny shift, what happens? The entire factory is producing like a charm. There's so many times when a person sees that something is broken and thinks that they need to fix the entirety of that object. And actually, there's really only one thing that's between them and success. And that might be something that is an incredibly minor detail. It's about shifting hours, or shifting locations, or shifting the style. But really the, pro the pieces, the pieces are beautiful. My friends in England, they have a statement, a, a phrase that gets used. I think they use it here too, but it's not used as often. They used to say, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You have a baby taking a bath and the thing, you want to throw out the bathwater. Sometimes if someone needs to throw out the bathwater, what do they do? They throw out every, they turn the whole thing upside down. Now you throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The idea of shofar is that sometimes we don't need to start again. We don't need to change everything. And the reason why that's such an empowering thought is because changing everything makes people never even want to get started. It's too big of a job. All you need is shipur, l'shaper, to make this better. Cain does effectively the biggest sin of murder that has ever been done in the history of the world. Number one, fratricide, he kills his brother. Number two, he kills his brother at the top of the triangle, at the top of the funnel. You know, you kill someone, you've killed them and all their descendants. 
But when you kill someone in the beginning of time, you know what that's like? That's like when you get, when you make a buy of a, st- of a company or a stock, and you're there right at the beginning, and you buy stock at the IPO. The money that you make from the tiniest of percentages at that point over the long run is so much higher than buying stocks 10 years later because the stocks have been watered down, they've divided and they've divided the stock and doubled it again and again and again and again. The fratricide when Cain kills Hevel is the largest single act of murder that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. And yet, well technically 33 because there's a third brother. Shit, but right then, right? Before they've even had children, at least as far as we understand. So it's right at that, still at that initial stage. But either 33 or 50%, however you want to look at it. Listen to this, my friends. <clears throat> what does God say to Cain? What does God say to Cain? Where's your brother? Where's your brother first? And what does Cain say? Hashomer achi anochi. Am I my brother's keeper? God then says to him, here's your cue. The voice of your brother, brother's bloods. Chachamim say bloods because he killed him and all his future descendants. Screaming to me from the earth. That's what God says to Cain. My friends, what's fascinating to me is that God does not punish Cain by killing Cain. He gives him a punishment. But he gives him a punishment that he can live with. Cain has descendants. He has a life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at a person who's done any sin. No matter what your sin is. And he offers you the chance to be able to do teshuvah. And Cain spends the rest of his life wandering. Okay? As penance for this, for this story. My friends, if God could see Cain, and God could offer him the chance, and even give him a chance to be able to admit and to own up to what he'd done with dignity, how does God approach him? He doesn't say... Murderer. What does he say? Where's your brother? By the way, interesting M.O. for God, isn't it? Interesting M.O. for God. What does God say to Adam? Where are you? God does the same thing for Adam Adishon. He doesn't say, Adam, you ate from the tree. What does he say? Where are you? Again, he gives Adam the opportunity to be able to admit it with dignity. In each case, Hashem asks that question, offering a chance. What do we see in God's uh, ad- admonition? What do we see in that moment? We see that Kadosh Baruch Hu has a very different perspective on people who've done the wrong thing. He's asking us to try and improve our ways. He doesn't want to get rid of you. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants you to do something different. Every morning when I walk out, 
uh, of, uh, of my uh, place to come here for, uh, for Shacharit, there's something I notice. I have like some, there's some planters out in front of the, on the, on, the, on the sidewalk, and there's different things growing. And there's this really tall stalk. You know these like weed stalks? I don't even know what they're called. But they grow very fast and very tall. Yeah. It just grows like this super, over like a month and a half. It grows maybe four feet, five feet high. Four feet high. And again, by the time the summer's over, the whole thing wilts, turns brown. And every morning when I see it, I'm, I'm reminding myself, I'm reminded of Yonah and his kikayon. Yonah is commanded by God. Hashem says, Yonah, go talk to the people of Nineveh. Get them to do teshuvah. And Yonah runs away. Whatever the reason why Yonah runs away. Finally, Yonah comes and he's like, look, you want me to warn the people? You know what, but you're going to accept their teshuvah. If they did sins, you're going to destroy them. You're going to send me, they're going to do teshuvah, then you're going to forgive them. Then what was the point? Anyway, God has Yonah sitting outside in the heat of the day. And he's sitting there sweltering. And what does God do? Miracle. Shum comes up this giant plant, gives him beautiful shade. Wow, he can't believe it. He feels so much simcha, so much joy that God took care of him this way, that gave him this plant. He's so grateful to be able to sit in the shade of this kikayon plant in the, in the uh, scorching sun. The next day, God brings a little worm. And the worm crawls into the kikayon. The kikayon uh, dies, and it withers, and it falls. And Yonah is devastated. He's sitting, sweating again. And God says, this kikayon, it grew all last night. You didn't plant it. It's got nothing to do. And look how sad you are that it's being destroyed. How do you want, you want me to destroy the city of Nineveh? A city with men, women, and children, multitudes of people. Let me give them a chance. These are my creations. You are God's creations. Hashem doesn't want you to stumble. He doesn't want you to fall. He doesn't want you to be punished. He doesn't want to write anyone in the book of, uh, in the book of uh, death. But all he's asking for is for the person, the shaper. And the question I feel that people need to work on is, what is the mechitza? What is this thing that's coming between me and God? That's coming between me and other people? What is this thing that is chotzetz? That's stopping me from connecting. Now, a lot of times, we're focused on what we've done wrong, and we're focused on how many things we've done wrong, and how terrible we are, and the mitzvah we're not doing. But really, actually, sometimes there's something else that could be fixed that would solve the entire problem. A key, if you will, that will unlock everything else in the person's persona. My friends, I believe that that's really what the shofar is designed to help us understand, to bring down a wall, to take something that is stopping us from this. Why was Cain so upset at Hevel? Why was he so upset? This is fascinating. Cain is not upset that God doesn't take his korban. Cain's upset that God doesn't take his korban and does take Hevel's. Now, the question you have to ask Cain is what was your intention in bringing the korban? Your intention in bringing the korban was to serve Hashem. What difference does it make 
if God took his korban, why does that bother you so much? Why kind are you rising up against Hevel to kill him? There's enough space in this world for the both of us. You see, Cain realizes in the aftermath of this that while he thought his desire was to bring a korban, his desire was perhaps to get a leg up on his brother in the eyes and in finding favor in Hashem's eyes. And when God chose Hevel, what does Cain feel? Jealousy. Jealousy and rejection. But if Cain could recognize that there's enough love in God's heart for everybody, and it doesn't make a difference if God likes him, and God favors him, and God blesses him, God could bless you too. Then it wouldn't be so angry. But the trick lies, Cain, in recognizing where this came from. What was the wall? All he needs to do is bring another korban and it's going to get accepted. Just bring something that's not as, you know, bottom of the barrel as what you brought. And your, your korban will be brought, it will be accepted as well. It's such an easy fix. My friends, there's a lot of people who need a lot of work. But there's also a lot of people who really don't need so much work. Who, who the difference between them and a beautiful version of them is really very small. It's a couple small tweaks. It's a recognition of something that's getting in the way of the mechitzah. And I think as well, sometimes the way you approach of mechitzah, the letters of mechitzah are, spell the words, ma-chatzi. You can't do the whole thing. Okay, so ma-chatzi, what is half? What's half of the job? It's really hard to figure, okay, what's half of forgiveness? You know, it's hard for you to get up in the morning? Okay, fine. What's, can you do half of the week? Can you, do, can you get up half of the difference earlier? And, and you're not praying in shul in the first minyan? Okay, fine. Pray at home after the last minyan. But get up 20 minutes earlier, so it's before Kiryat Shema and before the time for the Amidah. What is half of the journey? Maybe take half of it. The Shofar, my friends, is half of its own self. Because every animal that has a Shofar, other than a unicorn, has how many horns? Two. That means that by definition, every Shofar is itself half of the job. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to be zocher, to take on challenges, to recognize when we are close to the goal, to be able to not be discouraged by that space between us, and to realize that once you knock down the wall, everything is already where it needs to be. In your marriage, everything is beautiful except for in your religion, everything is beautiful except for your relationship with your kids. It's great. I have the biggest problem. My kid hates me. My father hates me. How many times have we seen that changing one tiny thing brings rectification, brings recognition, brings a different perspective? Look for that thing. And if you can't do that thing, ask yourself, Mahati, what is half of that thing? Baruch Adonai Le'olam.